Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. We're going to be looking at the difference between a legend and a legacy. Growing up in, I grew up in Brantford, and uh, in my school, there was this kid who was a legend. Yeah, Brantford, Christine, represent, right? That's, it's the way it is, right? Brantford. If you've never been to Brantford, come talk to Charlene or Christine, and we'll, we'll tell you how amazing it is. And... Uh, <laughs> There was a kid in my school who was this legend, and he was a legend because it was said that this kid could get people into the movies for free. One person had to pay, but then if you were sly enough, here's how the legend went, is that there was a door that was mysterious located behind the curtains at the front, just behind the big screen, and it led out into the parking lot where all of your friends who were waiting there, you could sneak them into the movie. And the legend went that every weekend he would go in and anyone from the school that wanted to go or anyone that was connected with him could come in and get into the movies for free. And it didn't mean, we were 13 years old, it doesn't matter if it was an R-rated movie or sold out, I wasn't a Christian then, just remind you, R movies or sold out movies, it, it didn't matter, he was just that good. He was a legend in our school. And I'm not sure if the motivation was because I didn't have money or if I just had a desire to be just as cool as this kid was, but or just even the pure curiosity to find out if the legend was true, but I decided I was going to try it. The year was 1991. The movie was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. No, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. The sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. That was Keanu Reeves' big breakout movie where two teenagers traveled through time in a phone booth. It was fantastic. I was nominated to go in and pay and then let my friends in the back doorway. As a kid that stuttered at the best of times and couldn't get words out, this was not going to be an easy process. Even though I was doing things legally at the front end, I wasn't doing anything wrong, I knew what my plans were. And I got up to the ticket, there weren't, there weren't kiosks then where you could punch things in. I had to go up and speak to somebody, it was the 90s, and I went up and I, whoa, 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 one ticket, please. I struggled to get that sentence out. And if getting in and being inconspicuous was hard, then being inconspicuous the rest of the time was going to be impossible. I started making random conversation with nobody, just trying to look natural. I was looking over my shoulder to see nobody was watching me and just saying things like, man, that Keanu Reeves is a fantastic actor. I can't wait to legitimately see this movie. I don't know where my friends are. They must be inside. I better go find them pretty much drawing as much attention as I could onto myself while trying to be sly. But I got into the movie, and I, I got into the theater, and I scoped out the place to see where this legendary door might, might be. And I went in, and there was a, a security guard down front. You know where the security guard stands in a movie theater, right? And in actuality, security guards are teenagers who have worked at the movie theater longer than six months and have graduated from popcorn boy to security guard. But in my mind, I was convinced this security guard was Chuck Norris. He was, he was in, trained in martial arts. He could take anyone out. He was the, our 90s hero. So I was biding my time, sitting in the first couple of rows, just waiting for a time until Chuck Norris was distracted enough on a ticket verification issue so that I could slip behind the curtain and find out where this door was. And, and 
lo and behold, it, it happened. He was, he was okay. He was, he was working with somebody else trying to say, you're in the wrong movie theater and send him to another theater. And I slipped behind the curtain and there it was. The legend was true. There was a door behind that curtain. Hopefully my friends were as sleuth as I was and they had found the door entrance in the parking lot and, I, and everything would go as planned and I would become the legend of Brantford, not this kid anymore. So I turned the handle only making a slightly loud creaking sound. And I peeked my head around the door, expecting to see my friends in the parking lot and receive a hero's welcome. But what I found as I opened that door was the maintenance room and a middle-aged man eating a bag of chips on his break, who was very shocked to see me looking into, into him. And apparently I wasn't as sly as I thought getting in behind the curtain and creaked the door open because then I felt a hand on my shoulder. It was Chuck. He had his hand on me. I had a decision to make at that point. Do I try and flip-slam Chuck and run away? Or do I try and talk my way out of it as I stuttered the whole way? Well, I did what any good-natured, good-hearted 12-year-old kid would do. I freaked and I cried and I told them I thought I was, this was the bathroom. And I thought the bathroom was back there. The middle-aged maintenance man and Chuck were very angry with me. And I don't think that they bought my story. But they did allow me to go back and take my seat and watch the movie. My friends spent the next 30 minutes in the rain waiting outside of a door that, upon further inspection, turned out to lead into a hallway between Walmart and Dollarama at the Ramford Mall. And I enjoyed a fantastic movie about two dumb teenagers traveling through time in their phone booth. I did not become the legend of Brantford that I hoped that I would. (laughs) Legends take on a life of their own. They're, They're a fantastic tale that stand out in a moment of time, and they inspire people, but they don't necessarily change time and move into the future. Legends are typically the opposite of what a legacy life would be. Legacies impact the way things are done throughout the, the rest of history. They, they change systems. They, they change the way that people think. They make hard calls in the moment, and they forego immediate fame for the reward of making a lasting impact and leaving a legacy, even though it's difficult. We think of people like Nelson Mandela, who didn't think about his own benefit, but thought about what could I do to make an impact in history. And as we're finishing our series, we've been, we've been talking about, would we live our lives with purpose? Would we dare to be different and figure out what we could do to leave our mark on this world? And you can either be different by making your mark right now and just becoming a legend and doing something that, that, that inspires people. Or you can be different by investing into a generation, by investing into a group of people, by investing in making a difficult choice that might have impact that lives long beyond your own life and your own sphere of influence. And this morning, we're going to go through a few principles that say, what, what would it take to live a life that actually leaves legacy. Even though you might not feel like you could be a legend or a legacy, there are some principles that we're going to see in Nehemiah's life which he lived out and he instilled in the people around him that left a legacy that we would still be talking about it today. But before we get there, I want to have a little bit of fun and let's just have a vote on do you think these people or these individuals were legends? They just, they, they had a big name in, in the moment. Or were they legacy people? Did they affect their people and their culture for years to come? So let's just look at some people. We'll go legend or legacy. Okay, first one, Bill Gates. Legend or legacy. Who says legend? He's just a legend of his, of his day. He's the guy that, as a teenager, did Microsoft. We have one. Okay, good. Legacy. Who thinks he's a legacy? He's impacted. 
I would have put Steve Jobs in as a legacy, but okay, you're Microsoft people. All right, we'll go. We'll go. Bill Gates is Bill Gates is the le- Bill Gates is the legacy. What about this one, Henry Ford? We have our net Henry Ford, the man who decided he could put an affordable Model T or what, what was the first car? The Model A in everyone's right. He made he made the first affordable car. Is he a legend? Who says he's a legend? He just had a great idea. Who says he's a legacy? He's a legacy. He, he impacted history. You haven't driven a Ford then. <laughs> I have a Ford Focus. You haven't driven a Ford. I'm saying legend on Ford. Okay, next one. Beatles. What about the Beatles? Were these legend or did they impact the way that music was done and pop stars were thought of? Who says just legends of the moment? Legends of the moment. A few more hands on this one. Who says they were legacy? Like, you can see the Beatles in Justin Bieber and in, uh, yeah, okay, all right. A few people. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, they called America's, America's evangelist. When, when, when we got to his funeral, there were three presidents who were there ready to speak at, 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 at Billy's funeral. Is he a man that just has a great name and it was some great experiences, or did he impact history? Who says le- he's, he's a legend? Who says he left a legacy? Yeah, I think, we, I think I, hopefully in a church we can see that he left legacy that lives on beyond him. What about the Wright brothers? Airplane. I believe these ones, they, these are the innovators of the Max 8, the airplane that's been grounded. No, just kidding. No. The, if you, <coughs> bad joke? Too soon? Did anyone, anyone lose a flight over March break? Anyone? Okay. Yeah, well, a few people did. Sorry about that. <laughs> so the Wright brothers, the ones who, in, the first in flight, who says they were legends? Legacy. Okay, last one. Our Brampton campus pastor, Daniel Clark. Legend or legend? Legend? He's a legend. Yeah, that's right. We don't, we don't know if he's going to leave a legacy yet. He's only, been, he's only been there for one year. But right now, we're going to go legend. <laughs> I'll let him know what you thought. Ne- Nehemiah, just a man who had been taken as a slave to Persia, comes back to Israel. He rebuilds the wall and the city in 52 days. Something that the first time that it was constructed, this wall around Jerusalem, took much, much longer. It gave the city security from their enemies. It helped build their identity as a strong, powerful nation. It gave them strength. They should have built them a statue. He, he definitely was a legend of his day. He's a life that, as Jewish history goes on and they would look back, he is the man that is known for building the wall, and the wall that would last right up until the day of Jesus and before Rome burned down the city, that was a wall that lasted for nearly a thousand years. The question that we end this series on though, would Nehemiah have wanted to be remembered as the one who built the wall? Or would Nehemiah have preferred that his legacy was one that brought people back to a, a, a lo- that, of lives that were centered on God, of lives that were focused on God and, and a lifestyle that put God first? Was he a builder of a wall Or was he a person that brought the people of God back to right relationship? This series began with the journey of how you choose to live. It ends with how do you want to be remembered? As a legend or a legacy? So we're going to go through three thoughts, keys to building a personal legacy. And we've decided this morning, our our communication team, if... If you didn't know this, there's five of us that get together. We write these messages together. There's Pastor Doug, Daniel, myself, Josh, and, and Irvis. Every week we get together and we collaborate on these, on these, uh, on these messages and on, on these sermons. 
And they look and sound a little bit, they sound a little bit different in each of the campuses, but it's always the same points, always the same scriptures, their illustrations are just the same. I don't think Doug is talking about how I snuck into uh, Branford movie theaters this morning, but he will be talking about the same three points. And we decided that we were going to use three catchphrases that we could easily remember as how we would build a legacy, but see how Nehemiah lived these out. So the first one, if you're taking notes, you can do it in your app or in your bulletin, is this. If we want to build a legacy, we need to remember we have to travel together in this, in this life. You want to leave a legacy? Then purposefully travel together. Do you have a crew of people that you are committed to? That when you look back at the end of your lives, you know these are the people that I journeyed with life. I journeyed through life with. Just consider that in your own life for a moment. Do you have people that you travel together with no matter what you do? In sports, we call this a nation, right? Raptors Nation and Leafs Nation. We, have, we, we, we are joined together by this dream that one year we're going to be champs, knowing that almost every year we will not be champs. We know that we can't even beat the Canadians on the last game of the season when it doesn't even matter to them. It, it was a rough game last night. But I think my prediction is Boston in four. I'm just going to say it. No. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the Leafs do something this year. But, but, but we're joined together by this, by this, by this uh, feeling and by this, this unification of cheering for a team, wanting to see the same thing done. We go through our ups and downs together. And some of us are more positive and some of us, apparently like me, are a little bit more pessimistic as we head into, into the postseason this year. But we share the journey. We share a dream together. Nehemiah in this series, he was preparing to leave Israel. He was going back to Persia. He was only actually given a few months where he could leave his job in Persia and go and rebuild the wall. And there were hundreds of workers who had participated in the wall rebuild, but they were going to have to go back to their lives as well. Their, Their life wasn't going to be defined by just that one moment. And what we see is that most of these individuals didn't actually live right in Jerusalem. They were Jews, but some of them lived in Persia. Some of them lived in the surrounding towns and the, and, the, and the other places. So watch what happens at the end of the rebuild in Nehemiah 11, 1 and 2. Here's what the verses say there in your notes. The leaders of the people were living in Jerusalem, the holy city. A tenth of the people from the other towns of Judah and Benjamin, which would have extended the southern part of, of Israel, they were chosen by sacred lots to live there. And while, they, while the rest stayed while they were. And the people commended everyone who volunteered to resettle in Jerusalem. Did you catch that? They were, they were casting lots. That's, that's literally to, to roll the dice or to leave a game of chance to, if you were going to move from where you live, to have to resettle in Jerusalem. And, the, and this, this was a practice that, that the Jews did. They believed that as they cast lots, God would direct the lot so that it would, it would show what God wanted and who God wanted to move their entire life and come and live and serve in the city of Jerusalem. We believe that some of you should sell your homes and move into the church. No, no, we, we don't. <laughs> Just making sure you're staying with me. The reality is that in the New Testament time, the Holy Spirit 
is that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. People, followers of God, the Holy Spirit is resident within us. In that day and age, the Holy Spirit was, was resident in the temple. There was, there was the temple, there was the outer courts, and you got to the inner courts. It was veiled off, and then there was God's presence. And only once a year would a priest go in, and they had to go through a whole cleansing ritual to go and be in God's presence. And, and, there, was, and there, there needed to be worship. There needed to be the proper preparations to go in and have close proximity to God. There had to be people there. We know that now, in this day and age, if we are a follower of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit within us. We don't have to give up where we live to move into the church, to move into the place of worship. In the New Testament, though, they did actually embody this a little bit. There was this all-consuming community of living life together. Look at Acts 2, 46 and 47, also in your notes. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. We've noticed a slow shift through the generations from intentional community, where in Nehemiah's day, they cast lots and said, some of you are just going to have to give up where you live and move into the temple because we need people to be there and we need that community of worship around the temple. In this New Testament day and age, they just said every day we're going to meet and we're going to have worship together and we're going to share our lives together. When churches began morphing and when we got in, when, when we started to establish church in North America, there was this principle of people got together all day Sunday and there was worship that was all day long and people had meal together and there was multiple times of prayer, multiple times of worship. Even as early, as late as the 1900s in PAOC churches, you would have Sunday morning church and Sunday night church. Anybody remember Sunday morning, Sunday night church? And you went over to somebody's house over lunchtime and then you just came back to the church. There was this community that was spending more time together for the purpose of being together, supporting one another, having worship, and having these dedicated times. There was Wednesday night prayer, there was discipleship courses, there was all kinds, we would spend multiple days at the church, multiple seasons of time together. In 2019, we have filled our lives with so many things now. We have sports as adults, we have sports that our kids are involved in. We have second jobs that we're doing. We have TV series that we need to binge watch. We have, we have people who spend time professional YouTubing. We have all kinds of things that we do that we fill our days up with. And we would say we have never been as busy as we are in 2019. And we have loosely connected community in each of these areas, right? There is, there's a reason why, why Colin, you go to volleyball on Wednesday nights, right? And you have a community there, right? There's a, there's a community of people. They're not your entire community, but you have a community of people there. Some of you would say, yeah, I have a community of people at my gym. I have a community of people in this class that I'm taking. I have a community of people in my neighborhood, and I have a community of people around my work. And we have all kinds of these loose connections that bring value to our, our lives. We have church on Sunday mornings, and I would meet in a growth group every other week. I'm not suggesting that the principle we see in Nehemiah about traveling together is that we would give up every other area of our lives. I'm not saying move into the church. I'm not saying we need to meet together in homes every day. And I'm not even saying we should have Sunday morning and Sunday night church every week. What I am suggesting is that people who leave a legacy beyond themselves 
will center a large part of their lives on another group of people who they are intentionally aligned with for the express purpose of developing their faith. If you want to leave a legacy that's beyond yourself, you need to be able to identify who are the people that I intentionally block out time for that say, you build into my life, I will build into your life, and together we will develop our faith, and it doesn't matter about all the other things I could be doing. In our day and age, there's a million things you could be doing. It's not, do I have something to fill my day with? It's, what do I fill my day with? I have a group of friends that we've been in church with for years. We've been, we've been attending the same church for 15 years together. And in the last little bit, we've created this small group, and I've been in and out of small groups with a number of these people over, over the course of my life or, the, or over the course of the last 15 years. But these are, these are people that I've traveled together with. These are people that I've raced together in triathlons with. These are people that we've had experiences all around the world with. We've lived life with. And we started a book a couple of weeks ago couple of months ago, I guess, recording our experiences, trials, successes, laughs, and memories for this express purpose. We hope that a decade later, we have a book that we're going to be able to look back on and say, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when you experienced this? Do you remember when you had this success? Do you remember when you had this failure? And if you would look back at the book, it's probably filled with a bunch of memories that might not mean a lot to anyone else, (laughs) but it would mean the world to us. Because there are memories that we shared, that we created, because we intentionally made time for each other so we would journey together. And we would see the impact of our lives on the lives of each other and the lives of our kids and the lives of people in our community. Because there is exponential power when you intentionally connect your life to the lives of other people. When you get to the end of your life, do you want to look back at the wall that you built Or do you want to look back on the lives of the people that you impacted because together you were building a wall or together you were doing something? The greatest investment we can ever make will probably never have a dollar amount attached to it, nor will it probably be anything that you can touch with your hands or hold in your hands. The greatest investments we will make will probably have a name. They will be your kids who know that they are loved, but they know Jesus because Maybe you sacrificed part of your career, but you empowered them to live a life for Christ. Maybe you fulfilled your career, but you impacted an entire company and organization and the employees around you because instead of saying, I am here to climb a ladder, I am here to build disciples. Maybe you intentionally invited somebody to serve alongside you and you said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to do the best lighting show that we could ever do, but it's not actually about the lights. It's about traveling together and intentionally challenging each other to get better at not only what we do physically, but how we grow in our faith. Your investment in a life will go far beyond your own life and starts to pass on to the lives of others if we learn to prioritize people over projects and remember that. Nehemiah taught us we were designed to travel together, even if it means inconveniencing how we live our lives. They moved their entire city to do this. They they moved from their entire city to travel together. What might God be suggesting you and I do so that we travel together with another group of people? Second thought is this. We want to leave a life of a legacy? We have to keep the faith. Travel together, keep the faith. Nehemiah's focus 
was not on the strength that the wall gave them, but it was in the strength that they could have in God. What they did had value, but who they put their trust in had so much greater value. As they built that wall up, and it was eight feet wide and 12 feet high, as they were, or reversed, 12 feet wide and eight feet high, as, it, as they were building that wall up, it was on the remains and the ruins of the last wall. And they were building it to the same shape. I, I talked a little bit about this last week. They had to know that even though they were building this big, strong wall, that that wall wouldn't necessarily survive all that life might throw at it. It was a a reminder that walls can be torn down if the faith in the one who actually gives strength begins to waver. When I was just talking about the lives that you intentionally invest in, whether it's your kids, whether it's coworkers, whether it's a small group, the practical task, whatever you're doing, is important. But it's the discipleship conversations that you share together along the way that will have actually so much more value than anything you actually complete. As a parent, I want my daughter to be a successful student. I want to teach her how to do math. I want her to teach her how to keep safe. I, I, I want her to have all the things that life could give her. But you know what I actually desperately need for her? Is just to know Jesus. And to, to grow in her faith and to be a worshiper and to be a follower of Christ. And, and if, we, if I take the time to spend doing homework with her and if I take the time to... Sh- show her how to shoot a basketball and how to keep safe on the internet. If I invest an hour in each of those things, but I never invest an hour and talk about, hey, here's how to be a follower of Jesus. Here's how to be a disciple. If I never do that, I've robbed her of the thing that I can actually leave that has the greatest value. It's of her faith. And I know that our kids don't necessarily want to talk to us about that, but that doesn't mean that I can say, well, I'll just hope that the church takes care of that. That's the legacy that I can leave for her. And we don't, do, we don't have growth groups just so that we can have connection within our church. Although that happens. We're a campus of 150 people. We're a church of 2,500 people. If we don't have groups, we're never going to know people intimately. It's just too big of a group to know people that way. So we do it for a practical reason. But the purpose is so that we would grow in our faith intentionally. We have, we have a pattern in, in, in our church that says nobody should be serving alone. Nobody should do a role all on their own and have all that information. Why? Because it makes sense functionally and practically. We shouldn't just have one person who knows what to do and that person has to serve 52 weeks a year. But the greater reason why we do this is because it's so much more, that there's an opportunity to disciple somebody as you learn a role together and you build in a relationship. We're at the end of the book of Nehemiah, and the job was complete. The wall had been built, but look at the legacy of the wall, of the completion of this wall. If you have your Bibles, open to Nehemiah 10. I'm going to bounce around to a number of verses here. There's a whole bunch of things that happen. In Nehemiah 10 and 29, the wall has been built, but here's what the people promised to. 29, the last half of that. They solemnly promised to carefully follow all the commands and the regulations and the decrees of the Lord, our Lord. They, they said, it's not going to be about the wall. It's gonna, we're going to live a life of obedience. They made this commitment to returning to the core principles of their faith that would guide them back to a life of following God. So let's look at some of the, the promises they made. In verse 30, they made this promise of, ha- of 
having integrity so that their kids would marry into God-honoring families and not look to intermarry with other cultures. Because if you study the past of the, the history of the Jews, what happened was the influences of other faiths started to seep their way into their faith and then their, their God-honoring faith began to start to get watered down and everything changed because they said, well, I can, I, can, I can honor God with a little bit of practice from this faith and my faith can morph a little bit so it can be like that. Younger people in the room, we have this conversation all the time, or I guess you're not even younger people, but, but someone who would be considering marriage. Why on earth would we align ourselves with somebody of another faith? We would often do it because we think they're attractive, <laughs> Or because they think we're attractive. We're like, yeah, I want to be with that person. Why? They just look great. <laughs> they, just, they have a lot of money. They have something that I, I want to be with that person. But if we don't consider the true heart of their faith and how they honor God, first of all, it's the quickest way for an entire generation to walk away from God is to say, you know what? A person's faith is not as important as what they would offer as a partner, as a husband or a wife in their in their relational skills, in the way we think that they look, in the way that they could make money. In verse 31, they make this commitment. We're going to honor the Sabbath. We're going to set aside 24 hours for just for worship and for rest and, and enjoy life that God has given us. As a church staff, I don't know if you, if you know this, but a few years ago, we instituted this at our church that every Monday from the close of services on Sunday through the end of day Monday, we close the entire church down. We don't count the offering. We don't have programs that go on. We don't answer the phone. We don't answer emails. We say we're setting that aside. Why? Because it was a, a principle that was established in God's kingdom. And we say... Every person should find a way to do that in their own lives. Just find a way, how will I make Sabbath in my own life? And how will I find time where it's it's not for work and it's not for doing the regular things, but it's just having a restful time and having a time of worship. In verse 32, they committed to tithing. They committed to reminding themselves that that money shouldn't be hoarded, that that money wasn't there to give them security, but they were going to give 10% of everything they earned and everything they had so that the church could thrive and that they wouldn't establish trust in how much money they could have. They would establish trust in God, not their paycheck. In verse 33, they reestablished the right rhythms of worship. Nehemiah's legacy should not be remembered as a builder of a wall. He should be remembered as a person who gave people a foundation on how to live. And when we track with that New Testament passage that we were looking at before, look at Acts 2 and 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And here's the thing, is that none of these choices, saying, I'm going to limit who I would ever even consider as a potential marriage partner, unless they have a true, honest faith in God. I, you know what? I'm going to give 10% of everything I, get, I, everything I earn over to the church. I, I'm just going to give it, and I'm going to trust that God will bless me. None of these choices will probably make you a legend. None of those choices actually make it easier to do life. Every one of those choices give you an ability, the chance to leave a legacy to a next generation or to others around you. Travel together intentionally with people. Keep the core principles of our faith as we do that. And the last one, and the closing thought, is that we would live beyond ourselves. The amazing thing is, 
is that 3,000 years later, as we look on Nehemiah's life, he's a great leader, he was a legend, but things carried forward so that other people would go back and study him. And I, I looked in Nehemiah 12 and 45. Do you know that all Nehemiah did was look to the past to find out what was the legacy that was left for me? That's how I should continue to live my life forward. Verse 35. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification as commanded by David and Solomon. David and Solomon had been gone for nearly a thousand years. But they said, we're going to look back to what David and Solomon did. Those were the ones that, that set up God's kingdom the way that God wanted it. I just need to continue to do that. And each of us actually has the ability to leave a mark on the world, even though many of us still wake up every morning and go, I wonder what my purpose is. We, we still wake up and we, we're like, I'm not 100% sure what I'm supposed to do, but we have capacity to leave a mark on the world. It's because we don't have to generate the idea. We don't have to figure it out for ourselves. All we have to do is look to the legacy that has been left to us and say, I will carry that forward. If we choose to live life in a way that makes God famous, that wherever we go, we establish his kingdom, that we live by the principles of love, that we bring peace through the Holy Spirit every day, wherever our footsteps, we will live a legacy. I joked earlier, and I said, we should sell our home and move into the church, because that's what Nehemiah said for people in Jerusalem to do. And we looked how the New Testament church embraced this. Do you know that the New Testament church actually got it all together? They said, we're actually going to do that. <laughs> verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. All the believers met together in one place. They shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, and they shared money with those in need. Something amazing happens when you understand your faith so deeply that you recognize your purpose is to not live for yourself. I'm believing that this is a group of people that has a legacy to leave. And it's not to make us famous, but it's to change the society and the community around us. It's to change the world that we will leave to in the next generation. It's to change the way that our neighbors understand their life and who they are and who God is. We're a group that's, we're a unique group. There are three distinct groups of people now in our meeting this morning that are being blended together. We have a group of people that came from a church that started and grew like wildflower and then fizzled to something and said, Lord, where, where are we supposed to go? We are a group of people who came from a church in Streetsville that grew to thousands of people and said, no, I need to go and plant something new in a new place and make sure that God's kingdom is being represented here. And we're a group of people that have joined somewhere along the way and said, I don't really understand either of those stories fully, but I want to be a part of what's happening here. And the amazing thing is, is that God is calling us together and saying, would you commit to one another? Would you commit to one another to be in a group together? Would you commit to one another to serve together? Would you commit to one another to bring my kingdom wherever we go so that there would be a legacy that would be left behind? That's our purpose. And we don't know what our next step is. We've kind of, we built a wall. We established a meeting in a school. We don't know what the next practical step is, but we do know what God is calling us our next step to do. It's to build his kingdom.
to leave a legacy for our families, for our community, for our neighbors, so that for years to come, people would look back and say, you know where my faith actually started? It started because this group of people said, we will commit to one another. We will be a representation of God's kingdom. We will serve in the community. We will worship on Sundays. We will meet in homes. We will not prioritize our lives, but we will prioritize God's kingdom. And as we end this morning, Michael, just throw those three reflection questions on screen. I think one thing we don't get in our community enough is just quiet time to reflect. And I want you to reflect, whether this is your first week with us or whether this is week six with us in this series. Here are the three things to think about. What is my purpose? Have I been able to figure out what God has called me to? The second thing is, who am I intentionally connecting with? Am I, am I intentionally connected into this campus, this body, or my small group? Or who are, who are the people? Maybe it's just my family. Maybe it's one friend that, that right now the Holy Spirit is identifying that this is a person you need to intentionally journey with so that you would grow together in your faith, that you would keep the faith. And last, what's my action step to take? How would I live beyond myself? How would I leave a legacy? Thanks for watching today. Be sure to check out our other messages on this page, and you can also watch us live online every Sunday morning at 1010 a.m. Don't forget, share your story or send us a prayer request by emailing info at porticocanada.ca. You can also stay connected by liking our Facebook page or following us on Twitter at PorticoCC.